Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast, number one Browns podcast on the planet. You got Kevin and Raleigh. And for our longtime listeners, you all know what time it is. It cannot be officially Browns Bengals week without this man that's joining us right here. You know him as the voice of Cincinnati sports. You can find him hosting every afternoon on ESPN 1530. Also, see him on 700 WLW and ESPN radio. Host of the Mo Egger podcast, the man, the legend, fellow Dayton alumni, Mo Egger. Mo, sir, thank you for joining us for what I think is the fourth year in a row. Truly appreciate it. And how you doing? You know what? I'm I'm doing great. I've done this. This is the fourth year, and I'm I'm still waiting to see the Bengals win in Cleveland. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> hey, I'm still waiting to see them uh, the Browns win. So <laughs> I can really. So speaking of which, let's just get right into it. Last yeah. year, well, you guys are going this year for your third straight. AFC North title crown. Uh, last year, you guys went 12 and four. You lost your first two games by a combined six points, if my math is correct. Mm-hmm. And then you only lost two more games the rest of the regular season. Uh, you guys averaged 29.3 points per game last year, shot up to sixth best defense in the league. First thing I want to start with is what everyone is talking about in Cleveland or really outside of Cincinnati. I know you talk about this all day, every day on the radio show. You're sick of talking about it. Hmm. For us in Cleveland, what is the dealio with Mr. Joe Burrow and his contract situation? Uh, as we sit here right now, four minutes after one o'clock on uh, Wednesday, September the 6th, the deal is not yet done. Uh, there, there seems to be a surge of optimism that has permeated through the fan base over the last couple of days that something will get done this week. And and there there is precedent for such a thing. You know, the Bengals... Uh, got a deal done with Geno Atkins. I think it was the Tuesday before the first game in 2012. Uh, Excuse me. They got a contract extension done with AJ Green that was almost signed literally as the team was getting on the bus to go to the airport to go play uh, the Oakland Raiders the next day. And so uh, there's precedent with the Bengals taking it up to the last minute with a guy who's up for a contract extension. But, you know, I I think something's going to get done. Uh, The folks that I have talked to, uh, I chatted with a guy by the name of Paul Danner Jr., who I think is is the best when it comes to covering this team, does a great job for the athletic. And he used the word yesterday, I'd be floored if they take the field on Sunday and the deal's not yet done. Uh, and so uh, there does seem to be a lot of optimism that something will happen. But I think you're being fair if you really do wonder why is it taking this long? Because when the when the offseason started, Okay, here's here's the to-do list, right? Here's who they need to keep. Here's who they need to get. Here's who they need to draft. Here's who maybe they'd have to hire. Uh, but at the top of that list was get the Joe Burrow extension done. And you go, okay, well, some dominoes are going to fall first, like Lamar Jackson's contract, like mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts' contract. And I think the best comp uh, is maybe Justin Herbert, like that contract. Well, all those deals have been done. And the, the latest one, Justin Herbert, got done weeks ago. And I, I think there was a sense when that happened that, all right, the, the next domino that's going to fall is going to be the Joe Burrow contract. My guess is um, that that there is some disagreement in terms of 
how many years the contract is going to be for. Uh, and I'm, I'm not the, the only person to express this, but if I were to guess, the Cincinnati Bengals want Joe Burrow to sign like a, a lifetime contract. And Joe Burrow wants to be a free agent at some point and maybe mm-hmm. come to the negotiating table as a Super Bowl winning quarterback, perhaps, or see what the, the salary cap is per team in three or four years and maybe have another crack at free agency uh, when he's 30 or 31 years old. I am of the opinion, if you're the Bengals, I, I said this on my show yesterday, when, whenever, whenever we've talked about them signing a very good player, fans will always rush to just write the check, just get it done. And for me, I'm always, Hey, look, there's a little bit more nuance to it. I don't think there's any nuance to this. This franchise is relevant mainly because of Joe Burrow. He has saved this franchise. You ask him what he wants and you give it to him, whether it's guaranteed money, specific years, specific language, a certain dollar amount, you give it to him because uh, everything they've accomplished over the last couple of years not to undercut anything else that they've done to get to 22 regular season wins and five postseason wins. Uh, all the air is out of the balloon of Joe Burrow's not here. So I am of the belief if you're the Bengals, quit screwing around and just get it done. But again, there does seem to be a sense that uh, at some point before one o'clock on Sunday, the deal will get done, but we will see. Uh, can you give us a breakdown of the I'm assuming heart attack you guys had when he went down in training camp and what the <laughs> current status is. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it was one of the most uh, bizarre uh, days I've had on the air. We are on the air from three to six. Uh, the Bengals are usually practicing during training camp from about two fifteen to, I don't know, about four, four thirty or so. And so we're on the air, you know, we're obviously, uh, following on Twitter, all the people who are there, we have our own guy who's giving us hourly updates. And I, I just, I looked at, well, it was tweet deck back before you had to pay for it. Uh, and I just, I, I saw simultaneously like every beat writer, uh, tweet out the same photo, which was Joe laying there and the cart sitting there. And so I think everybody in town had the same reaction. In fact, we, we had some fun with that in the immediate aftermath talking about like people who were at work and riding on elevators, and everybody just simultaneously was like looking at their phone and made the same exact noise when they saw Joe Burrow cart. Right. Uh, it, it was, I mean, the city was on edge for hours. By the time we got to that night, it was a Thursday. I think there was a sense of, okay, the Bengals have uh, dodged a bullet. The, the way this has played out has, has played uh, pretty closely the, to the timeline that I think everybody suggested. The injury occurred six weeks ago, uh, this Thursday. Um, the word was, this is going to be something that's going to take four to six weeks for him to come back. I think the most telling thing during the last few weeks has been, uh, their first preseason game, obviously Joe didn't play, but it was a home game about three hours before the game. Joe went through a workout. That was not unintentional. The, that, that was a message. And the message was, this is going to be okay. Is he 100%? I don't know. I do know that he's practiced. Uh, he, he hit the practice field last week. He practiced in full on Monday. As we do this right now, the Bengals haven't gone through their, their normal Wednesday practice. And, and Joe, by the way, is going to talk uh, a little bit later this afternoon for the first time publicly since the injury. But I, I, I'm at the point where I would be really, really stunned if he doesn't play. Uh, I don't know that I would be floored if, if he deals with some sort of discomfort. But since the 11th of October, which was when he had that workout before 
uh, their first preseason game against Green Bay, I have been operating under the assumption that that was a message that he's going to be good to go for week one. And until I see or hear something to suggest otherwise, that's what I'm going to assume. I didn't fall for it. <laughs> nice try with your trickery. The guys, I don't think he's ever played in what one preseason game, his career. And of course uh, he's coming back for week one against the Browns. Yeah. His, his first, uh, his second season uh, coming off the, the surgery after his rookie mm-hmm. year, Against the Dolphins, he played three plays. He handed it off twice. And then, remember, that was the offseason where Jamar Chase couldn't catch anything. Yep. He threw a quick wide receiver screen to Jamar Chase, which he dropped. And the entire stadium groaned, and that was it for Joe Burrow. And everybody pretty much left the game after that. So, no, he is uh, he has not taken a snap in a preseason game since. And, and I, I frankly doubt that he ever will. Speaking of Mr. Chase, I want to ask you about him. He's been, uh, well, it's been quiet as of late, but for a good portion of camp in the summer, he was always on Twitter popping up talking about he doesn't want Joe to play or talking about Joe's contract. Were you guys laughing at that? Like just, aha, Chase being Chase? Or was it like got to a point where it's like, dude, stop talking about Joe, his contract and his injury, please. Yeah, I, you know, a, a little of both. I, I guess yeah. for me, the, the whole, I don't want him to play. I, I got what he was trying to say. And what he was trying to say was, dude, if if you're not if you're still dealing with something, it's week one. There's no need to push it. We want you week one. We need you week twelve. We need mm-hmm. you in January. We want you in September. We need you in December and January and hopefully February. And I I think there was a slight overreaction to that. And and I I tried as best as I could to publicly kind of translate it, which was all right if. If Joe is dealing with substantial discomfort in the first game against Cleveland, do you want to run the risk of this becoming a thing that could linger all year? Or would you be okay with, you might just have to take an L against the Browns week one if you have to play Jake Browning or Trevor Simeon, uh, but you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, yeah, you're going to, you're going to further ensure that he is going to be ready to go by the time. Uh, the games really, really matter. I think that's what Jamar was, was trying to say. In terms of the contract, look, it's it's the question. I mean, you guys started it. It's everybody in the Bengals' orbit has been asked about Joe's deal, and then Joe's deal is going to impact what they do with T. Higgins, and mm-hmm. it's going to impact what they do with, uh, with Jamar Chase. And so there's a really interesting discussion about, okay, can you really afford to pay all three and still keep the team competitive, or do you say, screw it, we've got two all-worldwide receivers, a great quarterback, let's be elite at that end of the game and then continue to draft well and find cheap labor everywhere else but yeah i thought the comments to a degree were sort of blown out of proportion jamar never yeah. said he's not 100 jamar never said he's too hurt to play week one basically what he was trying to say is if if he's if he's still struggling we don't want him to force it in a game that we want to win but that we could survive if we don't win given the fact that they did start zero and two last year joe burrow is at the top of the list for to win mvp this year Jamar Chase at the top of the list to win Offensive Player of the Year award this year. Um, in order to do that, you got to have a good offensive line. And seemingly, you guys have completely revamped this over the last couple of years. Big sign in this offseason, Orlando Brown uh, to play left tackle, four-year, $64 million deal. Can you talk about the difference in the old line that's protecting Joe now from even a year, two years ago? Well, from two years ago, I mean, look, that offensive line that played in the Super Bowl, most of those guys aren't even in the NFL anymore, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, 
consider that for a second. They they came this close to winning a title with an offensive line made up of dudes who less than two years later aren't even in the league. Um, so I think it's a fair question to ask. If you acknowledge that this is probably the best offensive line that Joe has played behind, that's one thing. It's something else to say that the offensive line is going to be good or really good or among the league's best. And I think... That's one of the really interesting things about the the next few weeks. We're going to get a chance to see, I think, what the ceiling for this offensive line is. And by the way, they're going to get thrown to the Wolves with Miles Garrett and having to block him. Um, Orlando Brown allowed them to move uh, Jonah Williams to right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it gives them, frankly, just a, a better option at left tackle. I think that the thing more than anything this year compared to last last year, they played week one, four new offensive linemen from the year before, including a rookie. Uh, playing with a quarterback that they had basically never practiced with because Joe was coming off uh, an appendectomy. Now there's continuity and there's chemistry. And yeah, there is a new guy, but I think you feel like Orlando Brown has played enough ball that he is going to be able to sort of integrate himself very, very well. I think the starting offensive line has a chance to be pretty good. But the question is, do they have enough offensive line depth? I mean, go back to the last season. For the first 15 games, they started the same five offensive offensive linemen. And then Lyle Collins got hurt on Christmas Eve against New England. Jonah Williams got hurt in the playoff game against uh, Baltimore. And suddenly, when they played the Kansas City Chiefs, had to play with two backups. And we all saw what happened. Those backups got their clock cleaned by Chris Jones. <laughs> so the question for me is, invariably, when attrition and injury take their toll, are they good enough at the backup positions? What's interesting to me is this franchise, which for years people have said is cheap, they've got a $14 million backup tackle in Lyle Collins. The big free agency acquisition from last year isn't starting, and they kept him around. Now, uh, we'll see when he's finally ready to go, uh, you know, what, what sort of shape he's in and all that, but they paid him a lot of money to come to Cincinnati. Jonah Williams took his job when he moved to right tackle, and they kept Lyle Collins around to be the backup. Um, but you know, he's 30, he's had a bunch of different injuries. So the question that I have that is kind of hard to answer. And and if you're a Bengals fan, you hope you never have to answer is when they have to plug and play somebody else, how significant is the drop-off? Because if you watch the AFC championship game last year, you saw an offensive line that played two backups and they were beaten because of it. That's what was their undoing in that game against Kansas city. But the offensive line, as it's constructed right now, I think has a chance to be pretty good. Uh, I think it's fair to wonder how good of a run-blocking offensive line they're going to be. But again, the bigger question for me is, and I know every team in the NFL could ask this, do they have enough offensive line depth? Because last year, in the game that mattered the most, the answer was no. Great segue into uh, you just talk about run-blocking, and that's what I wanted to go next. Um, Last year, the Bengals offensively were ranked top five, top 10 and about everything, except the run game was down to the bottom half of the league. You guys still went to the AFC championship game, right? Obviously with the MVP caliber quarterback and Joe Burrow, and then those stallions you got in Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins. A lot of focus now is on Joe Mixon in the headlines this off season with restructuring his contract, taking a, a little hometown discount. How much pressure is on him to perform this year? And how big of an impact does he need to make for you guys to get over that hump? Well, I think pressure, it's interesting to me because uh, 
the offseason conversation has been about the value of running backs in this day and age, yep. especially backs, you know, in their sixth, seventh, eighth year. Joe is in his seventh year. Uh, and so we've had this big offseason long conversation about our running backs getting screwed. I've said all along, Joe's got an opportunity here to show the league, hey, uh, you can have some tread on your tires. Uh, you can have some years behind you and you could still be a productive player and you could still add to your skill set. Um, I I think in, in terms of pressure on Joe Mixon, I think there's some pressure on a guy like him to sort of show the world, uh, you know what? We're, we're still worth paying. We're still worth investing in. We're still worth keeping around. Uh, now, is he able to do that? Well, here's the thing about when uh, you play running back for the Cincinnati Bengals. The other team's defensive coordinator wants you to have the ball. So, uh, you know, the teams are going to say uh, Jamar and T aren't taking the top off this defense. We're going to lighten up the box. Please run the football with Joe Mixon. Okay. Well, can you, um, at times last year, the answer was no. Um, I, I think, I think Joe's, you were being fair last year. If you question uh, whether or not he has lost a step, uh, does he have home run hitting ability? Uh, not really, but, can he get to second and six? I would like to think against the defenses they're playing. And with how teams are going to play them, the answer should be yes. I think the really interesting thing about Joe is, even the last two years when he was making $12 million a year, he wasn't on the field on third downs, and he wasn't on the field in the, in the two-minute situation. Why? Because he's an awful pass protector. All right, so you, you, you want to show that running backs should still be paid? Develop a new skill. Be a more willing run blocker. I think the interesting thing about this team at that position is the guy who filled that role, third down, two minute, Samaj P. Ryan's not here anymore. Who mm -hmm. fills that area? I thought Chase Brown in the preseason who they drafted from Illinois was a little underwhelming. That may be a function of the fact that the, the backup offensive line, frankly, uh, wasn't very good. But I, I think that's one of the key questions. Travion Williams is also at that position. It's kind of put up or shut up time for him. Chris Evans is that position is that is at that position. He's a guy who's shown a little bit more potential receiving than than running the football. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, Joe Joe's had an interesting offseason because there was a lot of off field stuff too. But he sort of bristled at reporters when he finally talked about the, some of the unfair things that have been written and said about him. And his real beef should be with the team that actually told him we're going to either cut your pay or we're going to let you go. That's what the speculation centered around. Everybody wondered, are they going to cut his pay or are they going to let him go because there's no chance they're paying him 12 million bucks? Well, as it turned out, the Bengals came to him and said, you got to make less money or we're letting you go. He took less money because he basically had no other option. Uh, does does a uber-motivated Joe Mixon go to show that he is still a player that should be invested in, uh, that could still be the lead back for a Super Bowl contending team? Or do we see more performances where we wonder, God, has he lost another step? Why can't he run against teams that are begging him to run? And if that's the case, then I think there's a, a, at least a slight limitation on what this offense can do. If uh, if Zach Taylor or uh, Callahan are listening to this, which they probably are, if you guys want to run the ball all you want this weekend, <laughs> we're not sure what Denzel Ward's status is yet, so the more running, we'll take that. Um, hey, famous no, so, last words, man. We made every opposing running back put up all of we did, yeah. last year. Yeah, that's very so. true. That's very true. Um, so I know that obviously the offense in Cincinnati gets most of the attention because it's phenomenal. 
Um, I'm sure your new tight end, Irv Smith Jr., just with our luck, will be some Pro Bowl tight end now. <laughs> On the other side of the ball, you guys have had a great defense last couple of years. Um, it's looking to be another great defense this year. In the offseason, you guys lost some key members of that third level in Jesse Bates, Von Bell, Trey Flowers left in free agency. What have we, where are you guys at confidence wise and what you've done to replace them in that secondary? Well, I think it was a mild surprise uh, from, from basically this point last year. Uh, we assumed that 2022 was going to be Jesse Bates last season in Cincinnati. Um, but we thought, it's sort of either or they're going to keep Von Bell when he left in free agency. I think that was a, a mild surprise. Mm -hmm. I, I think the good news is this. They've planned for this. Now, they maybe didn't plan for Von Bell leaving, but they drafted Dax Hill out of Michigan in 2022 thinking he's going to be Jesse Bates replacement. So this guy had a chance to to play, you know, for the Bengals last year. And he was he was thrust into a uh, a cornerback role at times last year because of some of the injuries they had in the secondary. But he basically had a year to learn the gig and watch Jesse Bates. So is, is Dax Hill going to come in and be Jesse Bates? Well, that that's kind of a hard ask, but he is a former first round pick. They drafted him with the express intent of replacing Jesse Bates. And he had a year to learn. That's pretty good. Um, with Von Bell, I think they, they feel like they have replaced Von Bell with a 2023 version of Von Bell and Nick Scott from, uh, from the LA Rams where Von Bell came from new Orleans and, you know, wasn't a big name, but they felt like he was perfect for what they wanted their, their, their guy at that position to be. I think they feel Nick Scott is exactly the same. Uh, I, I think there's a difference between going, Oh my God, they lost their two starting safeties. Uh, now what's going to happen and saying they lost their two starting safeties and the two guys who are replacing them are probably not going to be as good, but they're probably going to be okay. And that's sort of, that's sort of where I sit with it. I think the interesting thing about this defense, uh, number one, uh, you saw what they did in the first round of the draft. The pass rush has to be better. I think they were 28th, 29th in the league in sacks last season. They took Miles Murphy, I think, with the idea that they could plug him in and as a rotational piece help boost that pass rush a little bit. I also think, quite frankly, the, the story of the defense this season is going to be the health of DJ Reader. When he has been on the field, mm. Uh, their interior pass rush has been really good. They're terrific against the run when he's not on the field. Go back and watch the first Baltimore game last year when Lamar Jackson beat them by himself. That's because they had no one to replace DJ Reader. As good as as good as he has been, and he's been one of the best free agency signings the Bengals have ever had. Uh, he's dealt with injury a lot, a lot of injury, and so uh, I think it's fair to wonder if that continues. Do they have enough enough on the interior of that defensive line to to be okay? Because there were times last year when when the answer was no. And then, you know, there, there is a lot of youth in the secondary, not just at, at safety, but uh, you're going to see a lot of Cam Taylor Britt, who basically didn't have a preseason last year. They drafted DJ Turner, who's going to get thrown to the Wolves. The mm -hmm. good news is this. I no longer have to watch Eli Apple. And so <laughs> I view that as a, as a tremendous win. He, he was the meme scapegoat in the NFL meme community <laughs> for years. Uh, Mo, I know you got to get out of here uh, pretty soon. Thanks for again for coming on. Mm -hmm. uh, final question, unless Kevin has something. How do you see the Bengals beating the Browns on Sunday, and how do you see the Browns beating the Bengals? Well, the, the wild card, you guys know this. I have zero idea which Deshaun Watson shows up on Sunday, 
which Deshaun Watson plays for the Cleveland Browns this year. If it's that dude I watch with the Houston Texans, holy crap, you know, then this is going to be a, uh, a hell of a football game. Um, I, I think the way the Bengals beat the Browns is block Miles Garrett uh, and, and figure out a way to not let Chubb beat you. Um, and I think the way that the Browns win this football game is, you know, you, you hope that there are some chemistry issues between Burrow and maybe Orlando Brown at left tackle, or there's some degree of rust given the fact that he simply didn't practice a ton, uh, during training camp and you, uh, you limit that Cincinnati pass rush and maybe you take advantage of some of the working parts in the secondary with a quarterback who, Again, we saw two years ago is as capable as as anybody. I think this is going to be a a terrific football game. Um, and and look, I mean, the, the Bengals when they lost in Kansas City last year, we all said, okay, next year you got to get the one seed. Last year they punted themselves from contention by losing the first two games, and they they created a very uphill path in the division by losing the first three uh, division games. I think this team has put a, a bigger premium on a fast start than they have uh, each of the last two years. And so I, th- I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out on Sunday. But there are so many fascinating things about this game. There's so many fascinating things about the, the Bengals, much less uh, the team that you guys talk about. I think we're in store for a, a really, really good game. And uh, I can't wait to see how it unfolds. I pray to God that because we're bookending the season with Browns Bengals games. First game, I I just hope the, the first game is exciting as hell and the last game is exciting as hell with everyone being healthy. Knock on wood. Last question, Mo. Uh, random Homer question. Uh, Demetric Felton. What kind of impact or role is he going to have on this team this year for the Bengals after he left the Browns and signed with you guys? Um, if I'm, go ahead. No, as you say, is he even being talked about? Is he going to have any kind of role in this offense? You think too early? I, I, I don't. I think that question is best answered by Travion Williams and and Chris Evans and injuries to the guy close to the top of the depth chart because the, at some point Chase Brown is going to be given a chance and they've they've invested too many years into Williams and Evans to not give those guys mm-hmm. a chance, but. It's running back, right? It's it's the most disposable position. And so it's one of those spots where you look at lower on the depth chart. At that position, that guy's got a better chance to get a shot than somebody playing a, a different position who's also lower on the depth chart. Mo, I can't thank you. We can't thank you enough for hopping on, as this is our yearly tradition. I know you're busy as hell. Um, so this is, is truly appreciated by not just us, but people listening as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mo Egger. Yes, he's a graduate of the University of Dayton, but he's also on Afternoons on ESPN 1530 from 3 to 6. 700 WLW ESPN Radio, host of the Mo Egger Podcast on all streaming platforms. Uh, Mo, thank you very much again, sir. Best of luck this season, this weekend. Uh, so for a healthy game. Can't wait, guys. Thank you. Thanks nice again. Day. For Raleigh, for Mo, for myself, they've listened to Dogs World Podcast, and good night, Cleveland. Any given Sunday, you could see him arrive. He's been six foot two, weight two twenty five. Number thirty two, he was better than the rest. Everybody knew that he was the best. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Big Jim Brown. Jim Brown. A first round pick in the 57 draft Started setting records at the league of gas Had a debut like few in sports history He was rookie of the year and the MVP Jim Brown Jim Brown Jim Brown
No one ever seen anybody like Jim. Year after year, the competition was him. Touchdown after touchdown, win after win. Title after title kept raking them in. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Big Jim Brown. game on that day in December that still to this day's reminisced and remembered. The world stood still and hearts beat fast. Not one point scored, 0-0 at the half, but hold on. Through the third and fourth quarter, they kept fighting hard. Through touchdowns and field goals and Jim's rushing yard. Cleveland had 27 and the Colts had none. The Browns were triumphant, the championship was won. Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Big Jim Brown, Jim Brown. Through all of the seasons, he never missed a game. He was voted into the Pro Bowl every year that he played. He had eight leading rushing seasons, three MVPs, and still holds a franchise record for most rushing in the league, Jim Brown. From a director's chair on a movie set, Jim broke the news that they'll never forget. He said he'd made up his mind. He said it was time. He said he retired. It was the end of the line for Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Big Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Now his jersey's retired. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's got a ring of honor and a statue in his name. You can sum up this man in one single line. He's the greatest NFL running back of all time. Big Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Big Jim Brown.